I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're on the seventh lesson of our first quarter of 2021, covering the yes. book of Isaiah. And this is a lesson entitled Defeat of the Assyrians. And Pastor Howard, one thing I'm particularly excited about this week is we have a simple, straightforward, powerful, beautiful narrative. Yes. You know, we're not going to be trying to go from prophecy Four to... Four chapters. To, yeah, it's a good not chunk of scripture. 15. And, and it's, it's going to be simple, it's going to be clear, and I think the Lord is going to bless because I love this story yes. and uh, the lessons we can draw from it. So, uh, let's go over a little bit. Um, well, should we do our talking points or should we have prayer first? We should. Let's just do prayer and then you want to walk through the talking points? Sure. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word, and thank you particularly for the lessons that we can draw from this week's study. Please help us to have the faith that will take you at your word and stand for the right though the heavens fall. Bless us today, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now, like you here. had mentioned, I have to say this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, just a powerful okay. example of God's power in behalf of his people, mm -hmm. and uh, the defeat of the Assyrians. Of course, we've been reading through Isaiah, this the Assyrian uh, this looming power threat. Is, yes. Yes, is growing, and there was, of course, uh, the northern kingdom was trying to push against, and you had the, yes. them connecting with the Syrians, not the Assyrians, right. in the whole issue there with Ahaz some years ago. Well, now that Assyrian power has conquered the northern kingdom, mm -hmm. and they're coming to conquer Judah during the reign of King Hezekiah. Right. Well, okay. that was very succinctly put. Yes. Well, in fact, I think Sunday, the first three paragraphs Sunday, really bring us to, up to speed as to where we are here, uh, beginning in Isaiah 36. So, I don't know if you want to read that. Sure. First. Uh, Sunday, the first three paragraphs says, yeah. When faithless Ahaz died, and his faithful son Hezekiah succeeded him, Hezekiah inherited a kingdom that had lost full independence. Having purchased Assyrian aid against the alliance of Syria and northern Israel, Judah was forced to continue paying, quote, protection money in the form of tribute to Assyria. So let's hit the pause button. You okay. remember back when we talked about Ahaz, how he went to Tiglath-Pileser mm -hmm. and asked to him to help. Yeah. And remember that that's when the Lord sent Isaiah, and he was trying to tell him, this isn't a good idea, mm -hmm. but he went with it anyway. Well, now he's put... Israel not only in a position, or Judah rather, not only in a position of, of giving tribute money. Incidentally, the tribute, much of that tribute money was coming from stripping things off the temple to pay. Mm. And, I, and I used to, I wonder to myself, because you get into the reign of Hezekiah, who was one of the best, greatest kings of Israel, and he was taking stuff out of the temple to pay, but he was just trying to honor, trying to keep unfortunately, up with it, yeah. what Ahaz had already done. But in the meantime, um, you know, he maintained his faithfulness to God, which we'll see in the story. So Okay, well, it continues saying, When the Assyrian king Sargon II died on a, a distant battlefield and was succeeded by Sennacherib in 705 BC, Assyria appeared vulnerable. Evidence from Assyrian and biblical texts reveals that Hezekiah seized this opportunity to rebel, taking aggressive action at the ring, as the ringleader of an anti-Assyrian revolt among the small nations in his region. Unfortunately for him, Hezekiah had underestimated the resilience of Assyria's might. In 701 BC, when Sennacherib had subdued other parts of his empire, he lashed out against Syria, Palestine with devastating force and ravaged Judah. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib intended to take Jerusalem, the capital city, he made extensive preparations for a confrontation with Assyria. He strengthened his fortifications, further equipped and organized his army, and increased the security of Jerusalem's water supply. 
the remarkable Siloam water tunnel, commemorated by an inscription telling how it was constructed, almost certainly dates to Hezekiah's preparation for a potential siege. Yeah, so that's a great lead-in here in, 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 as to where we are. And it's really interesting when you look at the whole idea of um, <laughs> Hezekiah, in light of this great deliverance that this lesson covers this week, how did he lose to the Assyrians when he tried his... So one of the things to keep in mind is God has still permitted Assyria to conquer the northern kingdom and do what they've done to Judah and Jerusalem because of their own transgression. So he's mm. allowed this to a point. Mm -hmm. But yet in the midst of that, we see that when his people turn back to him and Hezekiah specifically, that then God comes to their defense and their aid. Mm. So it's just... Well, especially allowing it to that point, and then, like I said, when they turn, seeing the evidence yes. so clearly, it's another remarkable uh, a reminder of the power of the true God of heaven. So, so that brings us into We haven't even covered our account. talking points yet, so no. let's go over what we that have. That brings us into this account this week of this, this uh, uh, threat from Assyria and God's mm -hmm. deliverance and aftermath. So our first talking point this week is that there is power in unity, and we'll highlight the specifics of that. From drawing from Monday and Tuesday's lessons this week. Okay. Our second talking point is that faith moves mountains. Um, I thought about calling it faith can move mountains, but I wanted to be more definitive. And I it think the lesson it, yeah. that, that we need to, <laughs> when you say faith can move mountains, it's kind of a lack of faith in a sense. <laughs> so we'll get into that as well. Faith moves mountains. We're drawing yeah, that from Wednesday's like, lesson. Faith can. I mean, if it, it works. It might move mountains. <laughs> it's like, well, then. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly, maybe, sometime. Faith moves mountains. Drawn from Wednesday's lesson. And then um, point number three, talking point number three, don't miss the opportunity to share the gospel. Oof, yes. And that is drawn from Thursday This is going to be a very powerful close to this one. It's a great yes, story. Yes, indeed. All right, but let's go back to point, talking point number one. There's unity, I mean, there, there's power in unity, again, from Monday through Tuesday. Where does this come from? What are we okay, talking about? Okay, and now we brought up before that you might come up with different points. In fact, I came up with all the talking points when I read through these chapters, and I hadn't even looked at the lesson yet. And I thought, I probably ought to look at the lesson. Throw some lesson jumped, in there a little bit. These are the things that jumped out at me, and you might see why I'm relate to this as we go. In chapter 36, the first verse of Isaiah, chapter 36, verse 1 of Isaiah, it says, Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib king of Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh, and that's a, a, an Assyrian word for, or a, that's a word for um, a chief of, chief butler or chief prince or chief, if like it's a chief, a chief officer, officer yeah. of the Assyrians, obviously representative of the king. The king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem, and he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? And then they mm. go on to talk about Egypt and not trusting in Egypt. And then they talk about why you're, you, you know, uh, uh, why aren't you afraid of us? And you're trusting in your God and you're trusting in this and you're trusting in horses. And you... So he comes to threaten God's people. Okay, pretty clearly. Okay. 
And what's interesting about this is that when you read through the account of chapter 36, he's really trying to shake up the people and divide them mm. and to get them uh, to lose their confidence in leadership and what have you. Well, because notice he's speaking to Hezekiah, but in front of all the people. He's like, That's make right. sure the in people fact, want to hear this. At one point in the, in the narrative, the leaders say, hey, why don't you just talk to us in the Assyrian language? We understand it. Not let's all let's have a private that, meeting about this. Let's yeah, not get maybe everybody... we can come to some kind of agreement and not yeah. get the people all rattled. And then he just talks louder in the common language. He says, what are we here to just talk to you? We're here to talk to them because they're going to eat their waste with you and all yeah. this other stuff. When we lay siege to the city. So they're just trying to, he tries to terrify the people mm -hmm. with the threat of the conquest. He also brings up in uh, verses 6 and 7, I found this interesting. He says... Um, but in verse 7, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, and notice L-O-R-D is capitalized there, mm -hmm. which the Bible translators do that when it's the proper name of God. Yes. So this isn't talking about a God. A God of some It's other. talking about the God yeah. Jehovah. And here's the Rab Shakan. He says, if you say to me, we trust in Jehovah our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? And I have to be brief here, but the idea is Hezekiah had been tearing down the the the, 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 the false, you know. The, yeah, the places of worship that had been brought in through heathen influence and saying, you need to worship in the temple. Well, it's interesting The Rab Shakah calls those places that were torn down altars of Jehovah. And he's obviously trying to, you know, I don't know if our viewers can imagine any kind of um, conflict over worship styles <laughs> in the churches. And so he's, the Rav Shaka is hitting on something that could be a sensitive he's issue. He's looking for a divisive wedge issue. Just like, by the way, you're going to call on God, but if I'm not missing, you are we worshiping God. Now he comes in and says, no, no, let's worship That's right. And he's trying to rile he up there. Gotta, so he says you got to do it this way. Yeah, he's picking up an area where it's mm -hmm. potential division. And, and then in addition, if you look in, he talks about, uh, if you follow me, you'll eat your own, eat, uh, verse 17. Uh, verse 16 says, you'll drink the waters of your own cistern, you'll eat from your own vine and everyone his own fig tree. So in other words, you'll have a life of ease and prosperity with us. Right. So he's appealing to everything he can to get the people to not stand together so the carrot and with stick their thing leadership. Like, I'll threaten you with destruction, but it'll be great if you don't. But even if not, split apart from you. And he's doing it in public That's in right. front of the king. Yeah. And so... When you come to the end of the chapter, this is why I bring all this up, and this is what really struck me. At the end of the chapter, it says, and I went, I jumped a chapter. At the end of the chapter, it says, verse 21, but they have, let me go back to verse 20. Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And it says, but they held their peace and answered him not a word, because the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Mm. In other words, in spite of all this, they had so much confidence in their leadership, they would not break ranks. And that's just an incredible testimony, because that I, I wish that could be said about our church today. Mm. That the reality is, there is an independent spirit, um, many independent spirits. It's just like, I'm, I'll, okay, I'll go along with such a, but don't tell me what to do here, and don't tell me what to do there. And to have that kind of unification mm -hmm. is what gave them strength at this time. 
also it, and would give us strength at this time. Amen. And it, it, this strikes me as we're reading through this. It sounds so strikingly similar to Daniel chapter three. You know, when the, the three heathen worthies are standing yes. there, and the question is asked, "And who is the God who shall deliver you from my hands?" And what was their answer? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter." They didn't take the bait, right? Yes. They could. Here, the Israelites could have argued each point, but they realized that all of those things are distractions. And what was their answer? Just not a word. We're going to trust in what we're... It's that, that simple abiding. And you talk about it in our church today. If we would simply stick to what we know is true and not get so sidelined into these divisive issues, you know, I think that Satan does a marvelous job of enticing us into uh, areas of deliberation and conversation and division that are unnecessary. Absolutely. And uh, a parallel passage is in Second Chronicles 32 and verse 8, and I have it in the notes here. But um, King Hezekiah says to the Bible says, in fact, verse 6, 2 Chronicles 32, verse 6, Then he, Hezekiah, set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God so uh, uh, to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened mm-hmm. by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to before. So the confidence, you could say, well, why did they have that kind of confidence in Hezekiah? Because of his faithfulness, as we're going to see going through here, his faithfulness to the Lord. And um, Ellen White, in fact, that passage we just read, she comments in Prophets and Kings 351. You want to read that? She writes, Nothing more quickly inspires faith than the exercise of faith. The king of Judah had prepared for the coming storm, and now, confident that the prophecy against the Assyrians would be fulfilled, he stayed his soul upon God, and the people rested themselves on the words of Hezekiah. Okay. So the faith of their leader was contagious in a way. Like yes. they, could, they could look to that and say, like, if he's trusting the Lord, we can trust the Lord like he does. And you know, it reminds me of the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow the Lord. That's right? Right. It's contagious. Well, there's another piece of this, and that is that when you come into chapter 37, so chapter 36 is all these threatenings, and what are we going to do? And in chapter 37, it says in the verse, first verse, And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet the son of Amos. So this is really fascinating mm. that he's in perplexity and distress. He, he goes to this uh, position of mourning into the house of the Lord to plead with the Lord, but connected with that, he sends to inquire of the prophet of the Lord. Mm. And if, if you know your Old Testament, you may recall a story in 2 Kings chapter 1 where King Ahaziah um, sends to inquire of Baal-zebub, a god of the Philistines, instead of the god of Israel. And God sends Elijah the prophet to intercept yeah. and say, is there not a god in Israel that you have to go inquire of this yeah. other god? We have prophets here. Why are you going to this one? The god and of so Ephron. Yeah. part of, in, in, when you read in scripture, the gift of prophecy was given, among other gifts, to bring us to the unity of the faith. So it was given in, for unification. And we see that working here. Mm-hmm. Isaiah didn't go on how he felt 
or, or Hezekiah didn't go on how he felt. He went and inquired of the prophet of the Lord, and God gave direction to the prophet of the Lord. And I think that's one of the things that gave the people confidence in him. And when he spoke, it wasn't confidence in the man, right. but he had demonstrated his confidence in the Lord, and they had confidence in that. And Hezekiah's confidence was based not only on his own like leadership, of course, it was in the Lord, but specifically the Lord through his prophetic messenger, Isaiah, right. right? And so you think of... Um, you mentioned parallels to this day. Yes. You know, I mean, how much better off would our movement be just individually and, uh, you know, soul winning wise, evangelistic growth, the whole thing, if we simply took the Bible as it read, put faith in God, and trusted the messages that he gave through his inspired messenger Absolutely. and the spirit of prophecy. That's the whole, that's the whole point. And a lot of the division is because we have different opinions on yes. things God has spoken clearly on. Yes. And if we just believed what God spoke clearly on and said, well, I used to think this, but I guess I'm going to agree with that, mm. we'd have unity. Amen. <laughs> well, more could be said, but we've taken a good bit of time on that. Moving into our second talking point, faith moves mountains. And we see that. We ta already talked about how Hezekiah was this man of faith. We see him going to prayer and sending word off to the prophet right there in chapter 37, 1 and 2. Uh, and it's interesting that if you go to chapter 37, verse 21, notice what it says. It says, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against mm -hmm. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. <laughs> and then it's... You know, the way that's written there, it almost implies... If you hadn't inquired of me, if it you hadn't made the preparation, it. if you hadn't had the faithfulness, right, there'd be a different message coming to you. But it, it's it's structured to say, because you prayed, therefore. Is it not in Desire of Ages where Ellen White makes that statement that, that God loves yes. to answer in response to the prayer of faith things that he we would otherwise not would not do? Yeah. If we did not thus ask. Yes. And so there's something about asking. Jesus told us to ask. One of the things I have in the notes is Jesus promised that with faith as small as a mustard seed, we could move mountains. Mm. And that's not talking about, you know, granite. And it's not talking about <laughs> yeah. rock formations. But uh, mountains are uh, used to represent uh, obstacles. Yeah, any hindrance that would you know, stop In you. fact, we'll see there's a piece of that actually going into next week's lesson about smoothing out the, the rough places in a path for a journey. Mm. But when there's a mountain in the way, well, Hezekiah clearly has a mountain in the way here. Mm -hmm. You've got the mightiest nation now on earth coming to lay siege on your city. What are you going to do? But he had faith that God could handle it. Mm -hmm. And we already read the passage where he told the people, don't be afraid. The, the, the arm is, of flesh is with them, but we're on the Lord's side. Mm -hmm. And you've probably heard this saying, God plus one is a majority, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think, you know, we joked about it, but Sometimes I don't think that we think faith is going to move our obstacles. Mm. In fact, I hear it from uh, church members. I hear it from pastors. I hear it from my own lips sometimes. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, but this problem's too big. Seriously? There's a lot of lack of faith talk these there, days, isn't there? There sure is. Yes. And so what happens in this story is so amazing. 185,000. And I haven't checked recently. It's been years ago, actually, since I checked. But 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 I knew the city of Grand Rapids, which is our second largest city here in Michigan, mm -hmm. is right around 200,000 people. I mean, that's a good number of people. And that, that's living in the city. These are soldiers, just soldiers in the surrounding army, yeah. your city. You're not talking about 1,000. You're not talking about 5,000. 185,000. And there is reason, from a human perspective, to be scared. But the Lord says, don't worry about it. And then he gives word to send to Sennacherib and says, yeah, because you came and pushed this issue the way you did and you're haughty and arrogant, you know, I'm going to, and he, in one night, the Bible says, 
an angel of the Lord. Mm. Singular. An angel, yeah. Smote 185,000 soldiers. And you get up in the morning, and, and what's interesting is the lesson quarterly brings out some of the aftermath of that. In fact, you want to read what it says there on Wednesday. Wednesday, the, the uh, first paragraph there. Yeah, according to Snekereb, as reported in his annals, he took 46 fortified towns, besieged Jerusalem, and made Hezekiah the Jew, quote, a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. Okay, so we have records where Sennacherib's recorded all this, and he's like, so I first conquered of all, them, we have conquered them, and I conquered them. That Sennacherib was real. Yeah. He's the one who testified about this experience. There, were, right. there was, really was a Hezekiah, the whole thing, right? Yeah. It goes on. And, and keep in mind, he took 45, 46 fortified towns. So he, he, you've got the completion there. You've got right. the closure in those situations. I did it. But, but when it gets to Jerusalem, yeah. he only talks about, you know, surrounding I surrounded it, him. Exactly, making a prisoner. And then the lesson makes out the point. But in spite of his penchant for propaganda as an extension of his monumental ego, <laughs> neither in t <laughs> I don't know, it's just yeah. interesting. He likes to name things after himself and write yeah. big flowery things and make a journal of it or something. But somehow or the other, he yeah. didn't finish this story. <laughs> like what happened to Ki the K King right. Hezekiah when you surrounded him and shut him in like a bird? Neither <laughs> in text nor in picture. So he didn't even like hire an artist to draw a fake. Does he claim to have taken Jerusalem? From a human point of view, this omission is amazing. Given the inexorable power of Sennacherib and the fact that Hezekiah led a revolt against him. Right. Rebels against Assyria had short life expectancies and gruesome deaths. Yet, when it comes to this one, the record it's, is silent. strangely silent. Yes. Uh, he surrounded him, and then what happened? Anyway, well, next we day. we know what happened, because the yeah. scripture tells us. And so, the point is, this is an absolutely phenomenal deliverance. Mm -hmm. But God forbid that we would limit this deliverance to Hezekiah Mercy. way back then. Mm. The same God moves mountains today. Those mountains of difficulty. In fact, Ellen White makes a great statement, Prophets and Kings 595. She says, often men are tempted to falter before perplexities and obstacles. But if they will hold their confidence steadfast, God will make the way clear. Success will, will come. come. Mountains of difficulty will become a plain. And mm. that's what we see happening here in the experience of Hezekiah. And why is it on record? Mm. You know, that we might, by patience and comfort of the scriptures, have hope, the Bible says in Romans. You can imagine 15. at a time of, of such daunting, literal danger, and to have a Hezekiah at the helm, yes. who's like, guys, you may not see them, but we have people on our side more than they have. We've got the word of the Lord. We've got the That's message right. of the Lord. We can have confidence. And what a, what a stirring thing. And I think we need to Absolutely. hear more of that kind of preaching in our churches, more of that kind of teaching with confidence and faith. That's right. Absolutely. Anyway, we've got to move on to this third one while we have a few minutes left because it really uh, is So the story huge. moves in and, and chronologically, you know, you read in um, after this to Isaiah... Uh, or, or rather, Hezekiah getting sick. In fact, Isaiah the prophet was sent to him and told him, you are going to die on your, your, your deathbed. And, I, and Hezekiah didn't want to die, and he pled with the Lord for more time. And then the Lord sent the prophet back and said, I'm going to give you 15 more years. And in the course of that, Isaiah wanted a, uh, Hezekiah wanted a sign. And so Isaiah said, well, you've got one of two options. The sundial can go forward 10 degrees or back 10 degrees. Well, the sundial is going to go forward 10 degrees. That's 10 mm -hmm. minutes later, yeah. right? Or whatever it is. But back 10 degrees, you got to understand, a sundial going backwards? <laughs> right. I mean, that's either smoke and mirrors or that's spinning the planet. Right. 
Okay, and so that's what he requested, and the sundial went back 10 degrees, and that drew the attention of the nations that studied astronomy and, you know, stars mm -hmm. and whatever. So there's a reason this envoy came over. It was because of that particular that's miracle, right. right? And so we read about the Babylonians that come over. Yes. And uh, did you want me to read about that in verses 4 through 6? Sure. Okay. I think that's what we have here. Well, this is actually after this they This is the came. aftermath. This is after they came. Well, we know what happened, and we can just para para yeah. paraphrase it here, but, you know... These, this royal envoy of inquisitive people comes over and basically how did this miracle happen? And of course, and yeah, their whole, they're coming because word gets to them, like, what is this strange phenomenon? Yeah. I don't know, something happened with there's the king, king and the god and of, this, Jeru yeah. of the Jews in Go Jerusalem. sort that out, yeah. yeah. So they come into him and, in, and this golden opportunity for witnessing presents itself and Hezekiah shows them Instead of telling them the story of God and his deliverance and letting that be that, he right. opens up this treasure house and shows them everything. Right, and when the Lord, uh, in Isaiah 39, verse 4, um, when the Lord asks, you know, um, verse... Yeah, verse 4. Well, it was verse 4. And he said, what have they seen in your house? What a yeah. potent question we all need to be asking ourselves. So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And it, it really paints a pretty dire picture, but... Well, and it foretells the Babylonian captivity. In fact, the next verse says, And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, that would be of the tribe of Judah, of the royal line, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's Daniel. This is yes. the prediction right here. Direct Daniel connection. and his friends taken, and when you read uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see that this is exactly what happens. Some of the royal seed goes eunuchs to the mm -hmm. palace of Babylon. So, all stemming from the fact that when Hezekiah had an opportunity, a great yes, opportunity to witness for God... I, I guess he felt like he wanted them to know that, I know that Judah seems like a small kingdom, but we're really, we got a lot of stuff. I don't know what it was that led him to do that, and I wish, well, I got to be careful because I can't yeah. say I haven't done the same kind of thing. Well, it, we have a comment on that from, uh, uh, you know, the very last, uh, this is on yes. Friday's uh, quotations here, uh, but in the third paragraph she says, and this is Sister White writes, but pride and vanity took possession of Hezekiah's heart. And in self-exaltation, he laid open to covetous eyes the treasures with which God had enriched his people. The king showed them, and he lists all the things that he saw. Not to glorify God, she writes, did he do this, but to exalt himself in the eyes of foreign princes. To, in the eyes of foreign you know, like you were talking, it's almost like he's like, you know, we're a real kingdom here. Yeah. And we're not just some little side thing, and you should see how much stuff, and you think you're a king, I'm a king, and look at all the stuff we have, and our people are great. I mean, sure, we might be small, and we might be this, mm -hmm. and you may not have heard of us, but we've really... And it's like he's trying to prove a point that was never supposed to be on the table. They're not coming there for riches. They wanted oh. to hear about this miracle of God. And he takes the opportunity... I, I should probably say this. But have you, any time we make the news, it's like, hey, did you see the Adventists are on the news? Oh. You know, so-and-so became an Adventist and they're a Hollywood celebrity or something. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Is that is their soul worth more than anybody? But we contend to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and the big takeaway here is he lost the opportunity to witness and those envoys may all be lost mm. when they could have been saved. 
And I put in the notes here that when this life is over, there's never going to be another opportunity to lead someone to salvation. We can tell yeah. our testimony in heaven, yes. but there's no nobody's going to be saved who wouldn't have been saved otherwise. But here and now, now we have opportunity to influence. What an intriguing influence. thought, you know, that mm. our testimony, the same testimony will be theirs, it will be here. That's and right. it'll be inspiring and wonderful and edifying in heaven. But it could be of more value here because there's still an opportunity to use it to save the lost. Where right. up there, that determination's already been made. And so... I mean, takeaway number one is never squander an opportunity. And if the Lord provides the chance for you to share your testimony or give that piece of literature and make that invitation or whatever. I would whatever, even say not, not even squander an opportunity. Pray that the Lord to give you keep our yeah. eyes open to the opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't help but think how many times have I done unknowingly been a Hezekiah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look at this, look at that, and lost those opportunities. Ellen mm-hmm. White has four paragraphs at the end of the chapter of the ambassadors from Babylon, and I'd encourage you to read that last, last section. I've tried to condense them to fit in her notes here and hit the high points. At, uh, but she says in Prophets and Kings 347 and 48, the story of Hezekiah's failure to prove true to his trust at the time of the visit of the ambassadors is fraught with an important lesson for all. Far more than we do, we need to speak of the precious chapters in our experience, of Mm. the mercy and loving kindness of God, of the matchless depths of the Savior's love. Those with whom we associate day by day need our help, our guidance. Mm. They may be in such a condition of mind that that a word spoken in season will be as a nail in a sure place. That is, it will give them confidence, Mm. something to anchor to. Tomorrow, some of these souls may be where we can never reach them again. Have mercy. Mm. And so I got the quote above that from Christian Service 270 that says, We should live in this world to win souls to the Savior. That's what we're here for. Amen. Well, I don't know a better way to end that off, but I mean, it's a great story. There's all kinds of things to draw out of this week's lesson, but you can't miss the point there at the end of Hezekiah's life that we have, if we're still living at all, we have those opportunities. Well, our summary, to, yeah. our, our summer, little summary on Friday says, In response to the cry of the faithful king, God saved his people and showed who he is, the omnipotent king of Israel who controls the destiny of earth. Not only does he destroy those who attempt to destroy his people, but he also provides opportunities for others, no matter how Babylonian they may be, to become his people. Amen. We run into them all the Mm. time, so God wants to use us today. Friends, let's close today with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this inspiring, challenging story. I know it's written long ago, but it has such real-life application for us today. Help us, Lord, not only to look for, but to ask for and seek for opportunities to witness for you. Help us to have that reliance, that faith that can move mountains and see past the distractions to the opportunities that lie before. And most importantly, Lord, when you do give us victory, help us to share through our testimony that that blessing with others. So to that end, Lord, keep us faithful and make us useful for you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.